Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. And we're online on www.channelafrica.co.za as well as uh, on all of our social media platforms, Channel Africa uh, 1 on Twitter and as well as on Facebook. Uh, my name is Samora Mangesi, driving the show with Onelin Tsinsino, Zuma as well as Neto Chimani. Some top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Western leaders gather for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization's 70th anniversary summit in London. Malawi's High Court in Lilongwe heavily sentences eight people for the killing of a 21-year-old woman with albinism. In economics, Egypt's Petroleum and Supply Ministries says the International Islamic Trade Finance Corporation to provide 1.1 billion US dollars of funding in order to help Egypt with imports of petroleum products to in 2020. And in sport, former South African doubles star and uh, current ATP touring coach Jeff Kutsia to guide Team South Africa at the inaugural ATP Cup. But right now, it's time for us to cross on over to the news desk for your latest news bulletin. Here is Onilin Sinsi. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samora. More than 200 senior Zimbabwean doctors have taken to the streets to demand higher wages and better working conditions. The doctors who downed tools three months ago are asking government to urgently resolve the dispute. Nearly 450 doctors have been fired since the strike began. This week, only 46 doctors returned to work after government gave the doctors a grace period, allowing them to return to their positions. The marching doctors will hand over a petition of grievance to Parliament with hope that the industrial action will be resolved. Dozens of people are feared to have been killed in landslides caused by heavy rains in eastern Uganda. Almost 50 people are missing. Disaster relief officials say rescue efforts have been hampered by flooding. The BBC's patients are to hire reports from Kampala. The local authorities in Mount Elgon region say more than 20 buildings were buried by the landslide. Additionally, flooding has cut roads and hampered the work of emergency services. Though the area is prone to landslides, this is worse than usual. It's been caused by weeks of heavy rains that have claimed more than 200 lives across East Africa. In northern Uganda, the River Nile has burst its banks, cutting off a major highway. Weather experts have warned that the heavy rains are likely to continue until the end of December. Meanwhile, Uganda's police on Wednesday blocked opposition leader Kiza Bessinger from leading an anti-corruption march in competition with one organized by the president. Kampala's Metropolitan Police spokesman Patrick Oyango alleged the opposition was planning to create chaos in Kampala, the capital. Bessinger had been driving to the place where the anti-corruption walk was supposed to start when police stopped him and forcefully returned him to his home, which is still under police guard. According to Transparency International's 2018 rankings, Uganda is 149th to 175th countries for corruption. 
The United Nations aid agencies are asking for a record 29 billion US dollars to fund humanitarian operations next year. The UN says that globally one person in 45 need life-saving help with food, shelter or medical care. The BBC's E. Morgan Fox reports. The UN describes the $29 billion as an investment in humanity. 168 million people around the world need assistance with food, shelter or medical care. War is not the only driver behind this need, the UN says. Extreme weather events associated with climate change are also pushing people into extreme poverty. The UN believes the cost of doing nothing in terms of yet more instability and potentially yet more conflict could be far higher. Lastly, scientists say people as young as 25 should have their cholesterol levels checked to help protect against the risk of heart attacks or strokes later in life. A study tracked almost 400,000 people with 19 countries over 40 years. It has shown a clear link between high cholesterol levels in young people and their eventual risk of having heart attacks or strokes later. Channel Africa News, I am Onelinsinzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Western leaders have gathered for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization NATO's 70th anniversary summit in London. The gathering comes amid tensions between some leaders regarding spending pledges, how to tackle the challenges posed by Russia and China, and the relevance of NATO itself. NATO was created in the aftermath of World War II with the overall aim to protect its members against any threats posed by the Soviet Union. For more on this, Channel Africa's Kumbelo Munjalele spoke to John Stremlau, Honorary Professor of the International Relations at Johannesburg-based Wits University, and he began by asking him whether he thinks NATO is still relevant. I think the members of NATO need each other, and it is being very disrupted since Donald Trump's election. Uh, NATO's role has been sort of twofold, and one's trying to stabilize the transition from former Soviet Union to the constellation of of republic states that uh, constitute Eurasia now. And secondly, of course, the war on terror, which uh, has created so many problems for the European countries and for the United States um, that has spilled over into their domestic politics. So that the alliance, um, which does represent uh, the the Western democracies and former colonial powers, nevertheless uh, uh, probably needs a framework that framework is very much under stress very much under stress it's interesting you say that uh, prof because uh, the anniversary comes after the french president emmanuel macron uh, decried what he calls nato's brain death a comment he stood by in front of donald trump yesterday even though the u.s president had already publicly called it nasty <laughs> uh, you know, you're very well read on this because it's, in fact, quite a moment. Uh, I've watched some of the press conference and uh, between the two, and uh, they really uh, seem to be, at the moment, uh, the antagonists, uh, which is I- ironic because initially Macron was making every effort to sort of get along with Trump. Trump has had a history of disrupting every 
NATO meeting. And one of the reasons they had it in London rather than Washington was to take him away from the political theater. Uh, he's got a problem on his hands back in Washington because this is the first day of the, of the Judiciary Committee that was drawing up the list of impeachment uh, indictments uh, t- starting today. So um, he's, 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 he's creating quite a furor. And yes, uh, Macron did have that statement about brain-dead NATO, but I think he was referring primarily to what's happened as a result of Donald Trump, but also this question about whether it can get revitalized to meet the kind of challenges that Ukraine poses uh, along the fault line between the uh, oligarchic authoritarian states of the former Soviet Union and Western Europe, the Euro- European Union. Um, there, there is a changing world out there, and, and NATO has been slow to adapt, obviously, and with Trump, it's very difficult. Trump has uh, criticized uh, his NATO allies on different occasions for not uh, respecting the 2% of uh, the gross domestic product contribution rule. At the same time, some European leaders have grown hesitant to the United States' commitment to the organization given the president's America First policy. Do you think as NATO leaders gather, they will find some common ground and a rich consensus in terms of the 2% of uh, GDP contribution rule? Well, that's a very good question um, because the, the head of NATO, uh, Stoltenberg, complimented Donald Trump for having pressured the Europeans to up their contribution to NATO defense of about $130 billion. And that's a lot of money in RAND. That's a lot of money in any, any, any currency. <clears throat> but only a few of them, forget the number, I think five or six, hit the 2% mark, but they are changing, and Trump's pressure probably has helped. On the other hand, Trump is so disruptive to the processes that it's almost as though he's doing Vladimir Putin's business for him, because Vladimir Putin and the Russians, of course, have been resentful for the encroachment of NATO on their former geopolitical space but also for the criticisms that they've been rendering against the corruption and and oligarchic behavior. Certainly central of this has been Ukraine, where Russia invaded an independent sovereign country and and, and annexed Crimea. So it is a very tense moment on the central front, what is now the central front between the East and the West. And therefore, um, this, this need for more investment in military capabilities, I'm persuaded, is probably justified. What is perceived as Beijing's growing global assertiveness, including its missile systems, has also been a particular concern in Washington, isn't it? What dynamic does China factor add because Beijing's growing military might seems to be a big concern for NATO members? Well, you know, that's that's very interesting. And there's um, a couple of pieces to this very quickly. Uh, one is the is the competitiveness and technological um, procurement that that China is accused of taking from the West and particularly from the United States. That's the economic dimension. But on the security side, China has been very careful, and I think. What was really striking about Barack Obama's presidency was he reached agreement with Xi Jinping on the Iranian nuclear agreement, for example, and they reached agreement on what's important for Africa, the Green Climate Fund, to mitigate global warming down here. I think America and China can do business together, but with Donald Trump in the White House uh, and being so hard over on transactional uh, tensions with regard to trade, it's going to be very, very problematic, and I don't see any real improvement. But on the other hand, China is taking the long game and will continue to expand as it should in terms of building partnerships advantageous to itself, and we hope to the partners such as in Africa, 
that agree to go along with it. And that's Professor John Stremlau, Honorary Professor of International Relations at the Johannesburg-based Wits University, talking to Kumbero Mujalele. Armed violence in Mozambique's northmost uh, province, Cabo Delgado, is forcing scores of people from their homes, destroying villages and making it difficult for families to recover from Cyclone Kenneth, which hit the area in April this year. This is according to a new report by humanitarian organization, the International Committee of the Red Cross. And the report says in the last two years, hundreds of people have been wounded and killed, homes burnt down and property looted. To discuss this further, we're joined on the line by Tendai Sengwe, communications manager at ICRC South Africa. Tendai, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you and good afternoon to the listeners. Now, Tendai, could you enlighten us? How bad is the situation? Well, the the situation in northern Mozambique is very difficult for many communities uh, and families daily. So uh, there was a cyclone, Kenneth, which was one of two cyclones which struck Mozambique, and it struck northern Mozambique in April 2019. Uh, but even beyond that, there's been uh, regular uh, armed attacks against villages and key things that family need, families need daily, like to access daily services like health centers since or uh, October 2017. So uh, people have been displaced. Uh, they've moved often to uh, nearby villages and are living with people maybe who they don't know, uh, but have been welcomed and are being hosted in, in communities. So altogether, this creates a situation where in, in some of the larger towns, uh, families and services uh, are under pressure. So more people need to use the same uh, water points to access water. So healthcare services are under pressure, uh, and it's difficult to make a living because you can't go back to your fields for fear of attacks. And we understand that the ICRC is also helping the affected communities with farming tools and other relief items to families in the aftermath of Cyclone, uh, Cyclone Kenneth. Rather, What more is needed as a matter of urgency to help these communities? Well, to, with the ICSC International Committee of the Red Cross, we set up an office in, in Cabo Delgado in 2018. So uh, one of the first things we're trying to do is to better understand the situation and the needs of the communities there. Uh, and just as we were beginning to get ready to address the consequences of the armed violence, that's when Cyclone Kenneth struck. So when we put everything down in relation to the armed violence and we focused on that immediate emergency response, together with the Mozambique Red Cross Society and our partner and our sister organization, the International Federation of the Red Cross. After the response for the cyclone, we came back to the, re- the main reason why we opened the office. And uh, yes, we were able to assist about 844 families uh, in the last couple of months who uh, were displaced. And we are focusing on other things as well. So we are also trying to evaluate how best we can help uh, and address issues relating to access to water. Like I said, there's an increased pressure on, on, on access to water in communities that are hosting displaced persons. And we're also visiting places of detention where uh, people held in relation to the armed violence are being detained just to see if they're uh, being treated in accordance with international standards and uh, assist the authorities to uh, improve living conditions if necessary. Now, when it comes to the government, do you get a sense that they're doing enough to help? Well, for us, the issue about 
who should help uh, and address the and improve the situation of the people who are affected is not just about uh, the government. For us, it's about all actors who can have a direct influence on the situation. So in this case, it's the government, but it's also for the armed group uh, and any other actors who may uh, be involved in the situation. So uh, the responsibility is not just for them, but it's also for all actors to follow the relevant international laws, especially if they're trying to carry out relevant operations. And we talk to them about that and any concerns that we may have. Uh, and we, we call on them to, to continue to uh, take those relevant laws into account as they carry out their, their different operations to respect the uh, Red Cross and its mandate uh, and, and the Red Cross emblem as well. And it is a dire situation, as you say. What are you hoping to achieve through this report? Well, for us, the, we, we've opened a humanitarian activity uh, operation in, in Cabo Delgado because we, we think it's important. It's, it's a key area where we need to respond. It's not just us who can, who can play a role. We, we need access to... Uh, all humanitarian actors need access to, to the affected area because also the... Uh, the frequency of the attack uh, and the, the the type of act, uh, uh, sort of uh, operations that are going there also make it very hard for the humanitarian organizations to to go uh, into the field. So uh, we we do need access uh, to continue to be able to to go to the communities. And if it's unsafe, we can't risk our our staff and our personnel. So we we move as as quickly as we can. And the ultimate aim is actually to be able to help the, the population and the communities that are affected to survive, uh, and then eventually to be able to rebuild. Because, um, yeah, uh, at one day, uh, we hope all of this, this conflict uh, or this armed violence will end, and, that's, and people do need to have the, the basics to be able to rebuild. Uh, because, uh, yeah, the, 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 there's a future that we, we need to look forward to. Yeah. All right, Tendai, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And that was Tendai Sengwe, Communications Manager at ICRC South Africa. That is the uh, International uh, Committee of the Red Cross in South Africa. Thank you very much to him for joining us yet again. Robert Chagulani, a pop star turned politician who is known by the stage name Bobby Wine, is recognized as the new face of Uganda's opposition. But his rise to prominence has not been without its challenges. Bobby Wine's popularity is considered a threat to President Yoweri Museveni, who has been in office for more than 30 years. Join Channel Africa on Thursday, the 5th of December, for our midday programs when we will have Bobby Wine in our studio. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Malawi's High Court in Lilongwe has sentenced to death four people and handed life sentences to four others for the killing of a 21-year-old woman with albinism in Doha Central Region in 2016. The Association of Persons with Albinism and Rights Activists have since applauded the judicial system for the sentence, saying it will serve as a warning to would-be offenders. The slain woman, Nelesi Nkata, was a niece to one of the convicts, Gerald Piri, who connived with the others to kill her for rituals. 
George Mhango reports from Blantyre. The Longwe High Court heard that Gerard Piri picked the woman from Dezato Madisi Doa on the understanding that he had found her a job suitable for her qualification, which is Malawi School Certificate of Education, MSE, when in fact it was a mission to terminate her life. After citing a number of previous judgments that justified a death sentence, Justice Chifundo Kachali said he settled for the same penalty as the appropriate punishment considering the gravity of the offense. The state prayed for a maximum prison term of 50 years for murder and 15 years for human trafficking, but the judge had a different view. The same sentence was handed to three other convicts, Madison Madzialenga, Jesmon Balua, and Stephen Chingombe. The four have been sentenced to life imprisonment for the offense of trafficking in person. The other four who have been handed life imprisonment for trafficking in persons are McDonald Kanyerere, Damiano Piri, Isaac Msambalume, and Damston Manyani. Human rights activist Benjani Kamwe heard the decision. He described the sentence as a victory in the fight against attacks and killings of persons with albinism in the country which have become rampant in recent years. What the government need to do is to step up their efforts so that they have to fight uh, this uh, problem of, uh, of, of, of actually killing of, uh, people with uh, albinism anyhow. The government has to intensify its security measures so that these people should be, should be protected. But I think they've got the right to stay in Malawi as they are all, as in terms of the human rights as enshrined with the Bill of Rights in, in, in our constitution. Every Albino has got a right to life. We, they need not to be discrimination. If they were actually, we were, if they, the other countries would be condoning for political, no, for, not political, but for any asylum for the people with urbanism, then in that manner we'll be like segregating them. But so the government... Uh, I don't think it, it, it has failed, but what it needs to do is to step up their efforts of, of, of giving them the most deserved security for the people with urbanism. Amnesty International released a report in May this year indicating that 22 of the 163 cases reported in Malawi since 2014, an indication that little had been done to combat the issue. The report also stated that body parts of people with urbanism are seen as magical with their limbs used in witchcraft for good luck or worth. The Association of Persons with Albinism, APAM National Coordinator, Overton Kondoi, and rice activist and country director for Standing Voice, Bonface Massa, have since applauded the country's judicial system for the sentence, saying it will serve as a warning to would-be offenders. In an interview, Kondoi applauded the sentence, saying it is a positive step in the right direction. Nkara's death attracted public anger in 2016. She was initially buried in Madisi Doa in her assailant's home until her remains were exhumed a few days later by APAM in collaboration with government agencies that wanted to accord her a proper burial.
Newton Fone, a youth advocate, thinks the move is welcome since government has failed to deal with the offenders. It's a positive step uh, since the, the government has failed to take a, an action on uh, the killings of people with albinism. I think uh, it's very positive. This is the third death sentence handed down this year for killings of people with albinism. In May, Willard Mikaele, who killed in parts of Pensolo, 19, was also sentenced to death. And in August this year, the High Court in Mchinji sentenced to death Douglas Mali, Fontino Folasino, and Sophie Jerry after being found guilty of murder and possessing human tissue of people with albinism. However, it remains to be seen if the four will receive the death penalty as capital punishment has been a controversial subject in Malawi for a long time. In October this year, the European Union EU described the death penalty as evil and aged Malawi to abolish it. George Mhango, Channel Africa, Plantaya. Research from the University of Cape Town in South Africa has found that fewer than 1 in 10 South Africans with a mental health condition are receiving help. The survey evaluating the country's mental health system found that the government spent only 5% of the health budget on mental health services, the lower end of recommended international benchmarks. Health expert Vanessa Senshaw has encouraged South Africans to be conscious of anxiety, depression and stress, which are particularly prevalent at the end of the year. So UCD conducted some research and a survey evaluating the mental health system in South Africa, and they found that the government only spent 5% of the health budget on mental health services, and there's obviously an estimated treatment gap of 92%. That means that a fewer than 1 in 10 people in South Africa living with a mental health condition actually receive any care. So we have a huge issue, though, because it is so topical and also such a huge problem that we're only actually helping one in 10 people who are suffering from anxiety, depression, insomnia, schizophrenia, and the host of other mental health issues. How common is stress and anxiety in South Africa, Vanessa? Well, I think, you know, we don't even need to look at statistics. If you just ask yourself and the people you know around you, everybody seems to be stressed or under some kind of emotional state that is either anxiety depression, you know, people that can't sleep, eating issues, dependency on certain drugs and other stimulants. You know, our stress levels in South Africa due to our, you know, political situation, our financial landscape, you know, just our resilience, I think, has always been quite high, but I think it's starting to catch up to people. And the biggest concern as well is just how many young people from a very young age are suffering from things like anxiety, depression, you know, suicidal thoughts, and it's very uncommon for a child to feel that, you know. So we are faced with a huge epidemic in South Africa. Tell us about the signs of mental illness. What do they include? So, you know, there's so many, and it depends on each person. But if you start feeling withdrawn, you feel overwhelmed with your life, you feel like you can't cope, you start either undereating or overeating, you get dependent on certain medications or drugs or alcohol or whatever other stimulant, you struggle to get out of bed, you feel like everything is just too much, so lack of energy, you get sick often, you feel withdrawn, you feel detached, you feel a disassociation to people and things, you have panic attacks, that's a big one as well, you know, your sleep really suffers, and you just feel off, and I think each one of us knows when we start feeling 
out of sync with ourselves, you know, a lot of brain fog, inability to concentrate, etc. The UCT research says we are reactive rather than preventative when it comes to mental health. What should we all be doing to ensure good mental health? Well, the first thing is if you've got something going on to actually reach out and talk about it and ask somebody for help because there are people that want to help you and to actually embrace whatever it is that you're feeling instead of, you know, society seems to put quite a negative connotation to mental health, whereas we need to embrace it, honor it, and we really need to help people who are suffering with mental health issues by, you know, giving them the ability to reach out. So changing the whole conversation around mental health to really open it up it's not a taboo thing. Everybody has it. So it's totally normal to speak about it and seek help. And obviously your nutrition and your lifestyle choices are big contributors, you know. So the supplements you take, if you're having a lot of sugar, alcohol, you know, stimulants, medication, lack of sleep, lack of exercise, all that's going to lead to a whole lot of imbalances in the body. Lack of key nutrients. So most people need to check their magnesium, their B12, their vitamin D3, their iron levels to ensure that they have adequate basic minerals that optimize your brain function and your brain chemistry and also just help you feel good. You know, exercise is so important. They say that exercise is actually the most cost-effective and most effective medication around for depression, for example. Then there's something called Saffron. You know, there's a product in South Africa called Felix. It's proven to help enhance mood, counter unhealthy cravings and impact positively you know, on mild to moderate depression. So I really think that it's also very important to make sure that within your family, you are able to reach out to somebody and connect with them and they can help you as well. And then obviously mindfulness is so powerful, yoga, you know, spending time in nature, all those kind of things are such powerful tools to enhance your well-being. And that was Vanessa Senshaw, a health expert in South Africa, talking to Elizabeth Lidicha. The time is now 17.30 Central African time. It's time for us to cross on over to the news desk for a very quick update from Onelin Sinsi with regards to your news headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. More than 200 senior Zimbabwean doctors have taken to the streets in continued demand for better working conditions. Malawi court sentences four to death for killing albinos and Zambia's President Elgulungu stands by his nation's strict anti-homosexuality laws. Channel African News, I'm Onilin Sinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective, can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours, Thursday at 300 hours, and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa.
South African breweries, SAB, is encouraging all consumers to drink responsibly at all times and not to drink and drive during this festive season. Zolek Alisa, Vice President for Corporate Affairs at SAB, says that SAB is actively working on fostering a culture of responsible alcohol consumption in South Africa. They believe that smart drinking choices affect everyone every day and is key to reducing uh, the harmful effects of the misuse of alcohol. More from Pamela Nguna, Smart Drinking and Corporate Social Responsibility Manager at SAB. At South African Breweries, we believe that every experience with beer should be a positive one. And we do this by making a real, meaningful and sustainable difference in our community. Road safety is one of our big flagship programs. Uh, We do education and awareness, uh, as well as evidence-based programs that give us um, impact in terms of reducing fatalities. Uh, injuries and crashes. But in terms of the festive season, we encourage our consumers to enjoy the season, but to also be safe. Please talk to us about South Africa's legal drinking limit. How does one know they've reached the drinking limit for the day? Sure. So South Africa's legal legal drinking limit has a breath alcohol content of 0.24 milligrams per thousand milliliters or a blood alcohol count limit of 0.05 grams per 100 moles. And how does this translate into units? Because it's quite important. Um, There is a formula which I could share. So you actually multiply the volume of the alcohol, and I'll give you an example now, by the percentage of the alcohol by volume, which is the ABV, and then you divide it by 1,000. So, for example, if you have a 350 mole alcohol, you multiply it uh, by the ABV, which could be 5%. Then you divide it by 1,000 and you get 1.75 units of alcohol. And this alcohol, according to research, has shown that it takes one unit, uh, goes out of your metabolism, it takes one hour to get out of your system. So if it's 1.75 units, you know that it will get out of your metabolism or your system in about two hours' time. It's also differs per individual and it differs on a number of reasons based on the individual's metabolism, structure, both and so forth. I was just giving a presentation now to a group of youngsters and none of them said that they're actually going to sit having alcohol and working out the formula. But Mm. if you use the simple example of saying a 350 ml alcoholic beverage of 5% ABV, is equal to 1.75 units. And you know, whenever you have a 350 ml bottle in your hand, it takes approximately two hours to get out of your system. So you can taste yourself like that as an example. And if you know the formula in advance, I wish the whole of South Africa would be educated to know these types of formulas because it's important, uh, especially if you're drinking, um, if you're consuming alcohol and going out on the roads, you need to know how to be under the legal limit. Although we encourage a zero tolerance as well. So now take us through some of the useful tips to help consumers enjoy this festive season in the safest way possible. Yeah, sure. So uh, our first tip is don't drink and drive. Rather have an alternative plan. So get an, a designated driver when you're going out. Uh, maybe a person in your group who doesn't plan to consume alcohol. Alternatively, make use of a transport service or travel in a group to save costs. Um, the second tip is to ensure that you have enough cash. So take enough cash for your night out when you plan to have drinks and eat. But make sure that you have cash saved for a taxi ride home because you may need alternative transport. The third tip is to ensure that you have a charged cell phone 
And we know that's really important because you may need to call for alternative transport if you are consuming alcohol. Um, the fourth tip is also critical because it says you should pace yourself with alternate beers, uh, alternate beers with non-alcoholic drinks. So pacing is very important. Uh, to, it means that you should alternate between alcohol and non-alcohol drinks. This allows you to have a lower intake of alcohol over longer periods, and this also allows the body to break down alcohol at a steady rate so that there is less accumulation of alcohol. So you can pace yourself with, um, for example, you can use water, cold drinks to reduce the effects of alcohol, and you'll also enjoy a longer socializing period. And in, in terms of South African duties, you also encourage, uh, if you want to pace, to use our non-alcoholic beers such as Castle Free or Bex Blue so that you can practice pacing. Um, another tip that we have is uh, to be sure to enjoy a meal or a snack with your beer. Uh, this helps to modulate your blood alcohol level. And then we encourage people to be a great host. So cater for your um, guests. You have also uh, varieties of non-alcoholic beverages to encourage pacing. And um, one of our last tips is to look out for your friends. So be careful not to leave your drinks unattended um, in, in various bars or restaurants. Uh, because, and don't accept drinks from someone you don't know. Also encourage your friends and, and colleagues to make responsible decisions so that you can ensure uh, that you enjoy this holiday season. And that was Pamela Nguna, Smart Drinking and Corporate Social Responsibility Manager at SAB, on the line talking to Lebuchang Mabange. While South Africa has made a significant stride in responding to HIV epidemics, uh, men are still hesitant to get an HIV test and some pregnant women are not screened. This is a concern raised by Dr. Cindy Fonsale, a physician in the country and radio DJ known for using social media to share HIV-related mental health and uh, other medical information. With the festive season also in sight, Fanseo is urging the public to better take care of themselves and for those living with HIV to remember to take their treatment wherever they're traveling to. Okay, so the South African um, HIV program is the largest um, program in the world and we have the most people on treatment. So in terms of getting people onto treatment, we've done really well. So we live in a country with about um, what 7.6 million people who are um, HIV positive, and of those 7.6 million, we have about 4 million people on treatment. So the response has been great. It's taken a, a long time, but um, we're doing well in getting people onto treatment. I think where we are still lagging behind, there's two aspects of HIV in our country that worry me um, personally. We don't have enough men taking for HIV and starting treatment, and also we still have pregnant women that um, are not tested for HIV um, during pregnancy. And that is how we have situations where babies are still being born um, HIV positive. Now, speaking of pregnant women who are still not being tested for HIV, uh, is this now affecting how we're doing in terms of the prevention of mother-to-child transmission program? No, so we're doing very well. The overall program, the prevention of mother-to-child transmission program, we're sitting at less than 1% transmission. But now this is for the public sector, right? So in the public sector, this is the the government facilities. If you're pregnant and you get to a government facility, they're going to counsel you and they're going to test you for HIV. If you're HIV positive, they're going to start you on treatment. But now I do most of my work now in the private sector. And in the private sector, 
not all the gynecologists or doctors are screening women for HIV. I'm not sure what the problem is, but it's not happening. And because of that, we are still seeing babies being born with HIV. And the protocol is simple. If you're HIV negative, when you first go for your antenatal screening, we need to test you for HIV every three months until you stop breastfeeding. Why? Because there's still that period while you're breastfeeding where you could still get infected, right? You might change partners and then get infected with HIV. And because you're not regularly checking your HIV status, you then pass the virus on to your baby unawares, right? And so that is worrying for me as the person. And I think that the message that needs to go out is that every pregnant woman needs to know that as soon as you fall pregnant, you need to go to your doctor, do the usual pregnancy checkups, and also HIV. And this is for everybody. It doesn't matter what your social demographic background is. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what your marital status is. As long as you're pregnant, you need to know your HIV status. If you're HIV negative, you test every three months until you stop breastfeeding. If you're HIV positive, you start treatment as soon as possible to ensure that your baby is born HIV negative. I thought it was a given that if you're pregnant, you have to no. be screened for HIV. That, unfortunately, we don't force people to test for HIV. So yes, the protocol is there, right? In the public sector, it's easier to enforce because you know, the nurses and the doctors there are up to date with everything. But in the private sector, it's, it's optional. And, you know, you cannot have an HIV test done without your consent. There's a form that you have to sign, and the doctor has to tell you that we are going to test you for HIV. And, and this is something, this is a message that I really, if, if there's one message I want to get out there, is that every pregnant woman should test for HIV. Let's talk about men. You raised a concern that still a lot of men do not test. What can yeah. be done? So we always look at barriers to accessing health care. And I think there's two things with men. I think it's the fact that um, many of them are working, that it's difficult for them to go to health care facilities um, during the day, during working hours. And because we know that that is a problem, we need to find a way of taking health care services to them. Right? So we know that you know, in the firms, I mean, I work in Kempton Park, and it's close to an industrial area. Every lunchtime, there's a whole bunch of men um, camping out, well, not camping, but queuing outside for the caravan, why can't we have a mobile way, a mobile clinic where, you know, we check your blood pressure, we check for diabetes, we check for HIV, we screen for STIs. So those are things that we've spoken about many times in the past, but it hasn't happened, you know, the way I'd wanted to. So access to, to healthcare is an issue for men. And just also the fact that men don't interface with their health facilities as much as women do. So with us, you know, we get pregnant. We have period pain. If we have a funny discharge from our vaginas, we'll go, in, we'll go to the facilities. But men don't think of themselves as needing health care as much as everybody else. So for us who have men in our lives, whether it's your uncle or your brother or your husband or your son, can we also then make them aware of health issues? The festive season is coming up. Clinics don't close. This is a good time to remind them to go in and get screened and get checked and so on. I'm glad you also touched on the festive season. Maybe you can um, conclude this conversation by um, sharing your advice for people as we will be um, on a festive season and enjoying ourselves, going to parties and all of that. Is there a need for people to better take care of themselves around this time? Well, there definitely is. So I'll, I'll just break it down into three. If you're on heavy treatment, please make sure you travel with your treatments. I know many of us are traveling around the country, many of us are traveling ar- around the world. Don't forget your tablets because you need to continue taking them throughout the festive season. If you are going to be having lots of fun over the festive season, don't forget to condomize, right? So please, you know, Jurex has got nice affordable condoms that are now available, 10 rand for a pack of three. They're available at ShopRite and, and Spazas. 
Make sure you carry condoms with you at all times. Don't get caught out without a condom. And if it does happen, that you do happen to have sex with a person whose status you don't know, the morning after pill is available at most pharmacies. And this is for women who find themselves in that situation. And post-exposure prophylaxis is the HIV treatment you take to protect you from contracting HIV. You can get that at, at any private doctor. You'd have to pay a consultation. You'd also have to buy the medication. It's not too expensive. It's about 250 rand. So keep that at the back of your mind. Condoms, always. Condoms in your, in your, in your bag, in your wallet, everywhere. And if that fails, then please, please access post-exposure prophylaxis. And that was Dr. Cindy Fonsale, a physician in South Africa and radio DJ, on the line talking to Jane Rabotata. The time is now 17.44 Central African time. It's time for us to cross on over to the economics desk. Uh, let's find out what's happening in the world of money. Here is Nosilje Zuma. Thank you, Samora. Good evening. Egypt's Petroleum and Supply Ministry says the International Islamic Trade Finance Corporation, ITFC, will provide 1.1 billion US dollars of funding to help Egypt with imports of petroleum products and basic commodities in 2020. The funds are part of a 3 billion US dollar agreement between Egypt and ITFC signed in January 2018. Supply Minister Ali Moselhi says the agreement is a genuine partnership with the International Islamic Trade Finance Corporation in order to provide more basic goods to citizens. Cairo pays around 1.5 billion US dollars annually for grain as part of a breed subsidy program on which many of Egypt's almost 100 million people depend. Egypt is the world's largest weed importer. Activity levels in Kenya's private sector were unchanged in November as increased sales during a period of good weather helped boost output while growth in new orders slowed, a survey showed on Wednesday. The Market Stenberg Bank Kenya Purchasing Managers Index PMI for manufacturing and services was 53.2, the same as in October. Readings above 50 indicates growth. Labohang Mabange reports. The survey says new orders that Kenyan companies received during the month expanded at the lowest rate in six months and output grew at the fastest pace in four months. Gibran Kureshi, regional economist for East Africa at Stanbeck, says the change would boost business activity. Kureshi says as commercial banks begin to extend credit, the private sector will be in a much better position than it has been for the past two and a half years. Kenyan authorities last month removed a cap on commercial interests in place since 2016 that has been blamed for stifling private sector lending growth and reducing the effectiveness of monetary policy. A total of 112 cows have been bred through artificial insemination for farmers in the kingdom of Eswatini. The services include synchronization of estrus, breeding of cows and general dairy farm management to improve the overall performance of the dairy herd. The dairy board continued to provide extension services, technical advice and services to dairy farmers to improve its management of dairy farmers in the industry. 
South African actuarial scientist and expert witness Alistair Chabi says a lot of the added costs stated in the memorandum recommending an increase in the 1,064 locomotives contract were not justified. Chabi says the 136 million US dollars allocation for batch pricing was not in the request for the proposal sent to the market, yet it was included in the memo submitted to the Transnet Board for approval. In 2014, former Transnet Group CEO Brian Muller former Transport Freight Rail CEO Siabongakama and former CFO Anjoy Singh submitted a recommendation to the board of Transnet to provide millions of dollars increase in the major locomotives contract. Chabi was testifying before the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture in Parktown, Johannesburg. Even if, and this is not to say it was, batch pricing was contemplated, it should not have been to the tune of 2.7 billion because breakpoint pricing allows for costs that would not have been incurred prior to the contract being signed. It is understandable on a lot of economies of scale basis, but not on a setup of production lines and all of those other factors raised in the memo. No contract was agreed upon. None of the OEMs had any reason to go and set up production lines on the basis that they had already been awarded the contract. So such costs should not have been levied on to Transnet. However, just to reiterate, batch pricing was not contemplated for in the RFP. And finally, Google co-founders Larry Page and Sergey Bryan have announced that they are stepping down from top roles at the online giant's parent company. They will leave their respective roles as Alphabet's CEO and president, but remain in the board. Google CEO Sundai Pichai will become Alphabet's CEO as well. Alphabet was created in 2015 as part of a corporate restructuring at Google, which Page and Bryan famously founded in California Garage in 1998. For your financial indicators, the US dollar is trading at 360.47 Nigerian Naira, 10.69 Buzona Bula, at 101.51 Kenyan Shilling, and at 14.57 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 4.21 Brazilian Rule, 64.12 Russian Ruble, 71.52 Indian Rupee, 7.05 Chinese Yuan, and at 14.60 South African Rand. The US dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound, and at 90 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at 1000 $479 and platinum at $911 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is $61.35 a barrel. And now it's time for your latest sport. Here's Neto Chimani. Thank you, Samara, from the sports desk. A very good afternoon. Starting off with tennis news. Former South African double star and current ATP touring coach Jeff Kudzia will guide Team South Africa at the inaugural ATP Cup, which is set to be held across the three Australian cities, Perth, Brisbane and Sydney, in early 2020. The international men's team event takes place from January the 3rd to the 12th in the lead-up to the year's first Grand Slam, the Australian Open in Melbourne, and will feature teams from the 24 countries. 
team South Africa has been drawn in Group A and will face Serbia, France and Chile in Brisbane. The country's former world number five Kevin Anderson, together with doubles specialist Raven Klassen, will spearhead the South African team in the inaugural event. They will be joined by rising single star Lloyd Harris, experienced doubles campaigner Ruan Rulovse and world number 18 ranked junior Kolo Munzi. Kutsia has enjoyed a golden 2019 after steering his Colombian charges, Juan Sebastian Cabale and Robert Farrar, to the Wimbledon and US Open men's double titles, in the process elevating them to a number one ATP doubles rankings. On to cricket news. The Nelson Mandela Bay Giants moved one place up to second position on the Mzanzi Super League. MSL standings following a six-wicket win over the Tony Spartans in an entertaining match played at St. George's Park in Port Elizabeth on Tuesday. Giants wicketkeeper Ben Dunk had a game to remember, scoring 99 runs off 44 deliveries. Losing those wickets early um, sort of forced our hand a little bit just to try and make sure we took the game as deep as we possibly could. Um, there's a couple of unbelievable contributions through the middle there. Um, I thought Tendiscata was brilliant. And of course, Marco at the end. Um, you know, he's, done, he's finished innings off um, now three out of five games, which you know, there's not too many guys in the world who um, finish the game off three out of five batting at six. So um, full credit to him. It's been a real pleasure to be you know, working with these young South African cricketers and um, watch them grow in confidence you know, day by day. Martin's opening batsman with Ian Melda is set after ending up on the losing side, even though he improved his scoring when he knocked 52 runs after facing 41 balls. Yeah, it's sad to see us lose that game, to be honest. Um, I think getting the total we get getting over 180 on this wicket is always defendable, I feel. Um, but yeah, I was one of the victims who dropped one of the catches. Um, but I think that's the department we let ourselves down tonight. Um, I thought our bowling was really good. Boshi, bowling 12 out of 12 Yorkers and actually executing them every single time. Um, getting a nick here and there is part of the game. But it's sad to see us lose after, yeah, like I said, we've been working really hard. Um, so to let ourselves down, that's what we did um, in the field. It's really disappointing one of these games. And finally, in football news, following a successful partnership with Arsenal, Ronda has now signed a deal with French football club Paris Saint-Germain PSG, arguably the most successful club in French history. The PSG deal aims at promoting the visibility of Rwandan brands and tourism. The three-year deal will see local fashion and design, Rwandan art and culture, coffee and tea, as well as tourist attractions gain visibility through the club. Rwandan tea and coffee will exclusively be sold at Le Parc des Princes, the home stadium of PSG, with a capacity of close to 48,000. According to Rwanda Development Board Chief Executive Itlak Akamanzi, the new deal also provides visibility opportunities showcasing Rwanda and visit Rwanda on backdrop banners and stadium installations, visit Rwanda on the women's team as well as the training kits for men. 
Zimbabwe Football Association ZIFA have engaged the government to map the way forward after the National Sports Stadium failed to meet CAF's minimum requirements. The association have also approached stakeholders at Mandava in Shvisavani, which also failed the CAF test. ZIFA invited CAF officials to inspect the stadiums, hoping Mandava in particular would pass so FC Platinum could play their CAF Champions League matches at home. But for the um- but for the umpteenth time, Mandava failed to meet the standards and FC Platinum will host their 2019-2020 CAF Champions League group matches at Baba Fields. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, Amneto and Etio Chamani. This is Africa Digest. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. We're back again in one hour at 1900 hours Central African time. For comments on the show, do send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven, and you can also tweet us at Channel Africa One. Taking us to the top of the hour is John Cena by Shoma Josie. We'll see you later. Yeah. 
kama we hutaki pili kata kama mishkaki tatu ya hapa katikati toka dasho unaloka mani samaki kata kama we hutaki kata kama mishkaki ya hapa katikati toka dasho unaloka mani samaki get it I grew up like John Cena Stop when I get up like John Cena He used to be cool when I used to come to Now you wanna have a pop like John Cena Some girl I want beef like Haidina Some girl I get Murandire moni wandemano Nsenu wamvera kulikonse Kumene mkutimva ntawino Imene ifachi nyanja taza Pano ndizo mweta konza Pa Channel Africa Meneti kumveka pa wireless ya kanema ya DSTV kumbali ya wireless ya mau pa nambara 80